Well, it seems like this week was one of the first weeks of the season where we've really begin, begun to see the change um, from summer to fall. Now, we've seen it a little bit for the last couple of weeks, but in my opinion, this week was the first time where I really saw the changes in the colors. So the trees have begun to pop. You can see the reds, you can see the yellows, you can see the oranges coming out. And, you know, we're not in the richest part of the fall yet, if you want to call it that, but we can tell that it's right around the corner. And when you drive in Indiana, the fall is, a be- is beautiful for more than just one reason. It's more than, it's more than beautiful just for the trees or even the campfires or the flannel shirts that are about ready to come out. Um, and all of our ag majors in the room, I imagine they're sitting over there. Um, all of our ag majors in the room know why fall is a great season. That's because harvest is right around the corner. So you can drive up and down country roads in Tippecanoe County, and you can see countless rows of soybeans and corn that's about ready to be harvested. It's a beautiful sight to see. It's a picture that just proclaims the glory of God and how he provides for us. And when you're driving around and looking at the crops, it sure is easy to tell whether the field is filled with corn or whether it's filled with soybeans. Because around this time of year, the corn is about... 12 feet tall, it feels like. Um, I've never actually measured it. I'm sure the ag majors could tell us how tall it is. Um, and, the cor- and the soybeans just look like little bushes in the field compared to the corn. The corn's tall, slim, um, and it just looks a lot different. And now our agriculture friends in the room, I'm sure, would be able to tell us the difference after just a week of planting, meaning if the, the corn and the soybeans were planted earlier in the year, just after one week, I'm sure they'd be able to walk through the field and say, oh yeah, that's corn, that's soybeans. But most of the people, or I would at least say many of the people in this room, including myself, would have a hard time distinguishing between two little green plants that are about half an inch tall. Well, when the soybeans or the corn are fully matured, that's not how it is. So when you're driving along these roads, you can tell which one is corn because it has ears of corn coming off of it. And you can tell which ones are soybeans because they have countless little pods of soybeans coming off it that'll be food and that will become manufactured products that we'll use in our lives. And in a similar way, humans display what is found in their hearts when someone is fully matured. So when someone is fully matured, they possess all of the attributes that correspond to their nature, just like corn and soybeans. When corn and soybeans have been fully matured, they possess everything that corn and soybeans would, and the same is with a human. For example, when someone has a godly heart or godly roots in their life, they have been fully matured, and they will possess attributes that correspond to that godliness, such as love, peace, joy, and compassion. They'll be a person that is focused on loving other people. They'll be using their time in a sacrificial manner. And they'll, most of all, be wanting to use their life in a way that pleases God. And they'll want to be a good steward. Ultimately, they'll look to Christ in every way. And their desires, thoughts, and actions will resemble the desires, thoughts, and actions of the Lord Jesus. Now, on the other hand, those who have a heart that is characterized by sin will also exhibit the character qualities of a fully manifested person on that side, meaning they'll exhibit traits of selfishness, envy, greed, and hatred. So there'll be people consumed with themselves and doing what benefits only their own agenda, and they'll be prioritizing what pleases them over what pleases God. So the believer's heart will become more fully developed as they mature throughout life, but we must not forget that the heart of someone that is oriented around sin will also continue to mature as time goes on. 
And witnessing the maturity of a sinful orientation is where we find ourselves this morning. So please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. And you can find 2 Peter chapter 2 on page 183 in the back section of the Bible that's under the chair in front of you. And throughout this calendar year, we have been focusing on the theme of hope for everyday life. So over the past month, we've been settled here in the book of 2 Peter. And our theme in this book has been growing in the grace and knowledge. And we find our theme for the book um, in the last verse that Peter writes in this letter. So he writes, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, if you've not been with us for the past few weeks, here's a quick snapshot of what the Apostle Peter has been writing in this letter. So first, in the first chapter of the book, he's focused on the trajectory of a believer. So what does it look like for a believer to grow? And he really paints the picture of what a fully developed or fully matured disciple of Christ should look like. And we even studied a lot of those attributes earlier in the summer, um, in our summer series. And in contrast to the first chapter, Peter focuses specifically on false teachers here in the second chapter. So two weeks ago, we learned about discerning false teaching from 2 Peter chapter, one verses, or chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, where we learned the reality of false teachers and also how we should respond to false teaching. Last week, Pastor Virus was here, and we saw that the, what the end of false teachers looks like. So studying 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10, we learned about God's judgment and how we as Christians should be thankful that we worship a God that is just. And this week, we are in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 11, six, 11 to 16, where we're going to be considering the character of false teachers. So 2 Peter chapter 2 is one of the longest passages in Scripture when it comes to the topic of false teachers. And it's important for us as God's people to understand what the characteristics are and what characterizes the teaching, but also what characterizes the attributes of a false teacher themselves. So with that in mind, we're going to get a head start in, our ch- in uh, this chapter to help us with context. Um, so as we start here, I'm actually going to start reading in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, and then we will land in our passage for the day, starting in verse 10 and 11. So 2 Peter chapter 2 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality because of, this, of, the, of, because of them the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep." For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteousness, his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. 
then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. And now our passage for the day says, Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord, but these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instincts to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet." So in this passage, we can see that Peter has described to us the attributes and qualities that characterize a false teacher. And in doing so, one of the things that Peter has done is he has given us a picture of the fully mature or fully developed description of the old man. So now when I say old man, I'm not referring to an old man. No, rather the old man is a term actually used in the book of Ephesians to describe the state of a person that's not a Christian or someone that's before Christ. And it's a term to refer to what Christ has saved us from. So the old man is someone that's characterized by sinful desires, deceit, and corruption. On the other hand, the new man is someone who's characterized by both righteousness and their heart motivations. They're characterized by righteousness in their actions. And the new person is someone that has come to Christ. And we can actually see that description here in Ephesians 4. So in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, it says, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have taught him and been taught in him. Just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former way of life, You are to rid yourselves of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. As we see here in Ephesians, there are two ways that a person can be developing. So someone who's a Christian can be changed into the likeness of God and is characterized by holiness, purity. And someone who is oriented around the old self is being corrupted in accordance with deceit. And when we look at our passage in Second Peter, in light of the old man and the new man, we can learn a lot about false teachers. And we can learn a lot about ourselves. So this passage is helpful to us because it informs us of the true character of false teachers But it's also helpful to us because it sheds light on how our hearts are prone to work as well. So with that in mind, this morning we're going to be looking at three truths to understand regarding the old man of sin that can be manifested in false teachers and at the same time be helpful to us as we wrestle with sin. 
And the first is that the old man of sin has a specific nature. So just like how the crops of the field have roots that determine the fruit they produce, so the old man has roots that determine what the heart manifests. And it it manifested in a variety of ways. One way in particular is that they have a way of seeing. A way of seeing. And a way of seeing means they have eyes that are full of something and that is to be thoroughly characterized by something. So they have all the identifying qualities of a certain characteristic. So they're consumed with something and their heart is fully devoted. So for the false teachers in this case, this means that there are people that are characterized by idolatry. Now surely they're characterized by spiritual idolatry or adultery, but that's probably not actually what Peter's referring to here. What he's referring to is actually that they have been identified by their physical adultery. So their false teaching has gone to the point where it has completely corrupted their actions. Chapter 2, verse 2 indicates that they are defined by sensuality, which indicates this is referring to a physical adultery or immorality. So they're not just people that have committed sexual immorality in the past, but they're people that are fully devoted to it and committed to filling themselves with this. They've gone to the extreme to the point where their disposition is oriented around using other people for their own gratification. And now we can see this concept of filling in many other places in Scripture. And we can even see it in positive connotations, whereas in this passage it's in in a negative connotation. And there are many positive ways in which people can be filled and characterized by something that is pure. So listen to what Paul writes here at the end of the book of Romans. So he writes, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Now that's what we want to be filled with, isn't it? We want to be people that we could say that we are filled with goodness and mercy, and that we are able to build our brothers and sisters up in Christ. That I'm filled with knowledge necessary to live a righteous life in this present age. And James actually writes something uh, as well that corresponds to this in his, his epistle. And he says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Aren't you glad that we get to serve in a church body that is full of mercy and good fruits rather than selfishness and hypocrisy? The congregation here at Faith Church West is filled with people who are consumed with living for Christ and using everything that they have been given for his kingdom. I remember as a college student, right after I'd become a believer, I was searching for a church home and looking for a church that I could be committed to. And it didn't take long for me to realize that the congregation here at Faith Church was consumed with doing good in God, doing what is right in God's eyes and was consumed with loving the community. So people in this church could be using their time in all sorts of ways, and you could be using your time in all sorts of ways this fall for your own enjoyment. But this room is filled with people that are using their free time, the extra time in their schedule, to serve the body and to see other people grow in Christ Jesus. And that is just a delightful delightful thing to see. Many in this room also, even financially, could have bigger houses, nicer cars, or have more lavish, lavish vacations but rather they use their money to see others prosper spiritually. They have eyes that are full of serving others. 
And now that is the interesting thing about believers versus false teachers. They see differently. And not physically, but spiritually. And our Lord reminds us of this very truth in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew 6, he writes, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve or love God and wealth. Christ reminds us here that the eye is the indicator of the rest of the body, and those who have their eyes set on what God loves show it by how they live. The false teachers in this passage show what they love by the way they live adulterous and immoral lives. Their eyes are full of taking rather than being full of giving. And in addition to having eyes that are full of adultery, this passage says that they have a way of loving, a way of loving that's characterized by indulging the flesh in its corrupt desires. They count it a pleasure, and they are loving the wages of un righteousness. In this passage we just referred to in Matthew, Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You will either either love the one or you will hate the other or vice versa. In Jesus' context, he was speaking about loving earthly treasures. And Peter, in his terminology, he says it just a little bit differently. He says, indulging the flesh in its corrupt desires. So Peter uses a Greek word translated as indulging, which means to follow after something. For example, Jesus actually says something similar when he says the same term, follow after me, but he uses it in a positive way. So he means to leave all other loves and love me and follow me. Similarly, when Peter says indulging the flesh in its corrupt desires, what does he mean? Well, he means the old man of sin follows after corrupt desires. And when it comes to pleasures, it says, count it as a ple- they count it as a pleasure to revel in the daytime. So to revel means to focus on the extreme comforts, ease, or luxury, or delights right now. And most people who do wicked things, well, they know that if they're doing wicked things, most of the time what they do is they do that at night. They do it in the dark so others might not see it. But these false teachers are quite different. They have gone to the extreme where they will do their evil deeds in the light so that others can see their nature and they are not ashamed of it. These teachers are also characterized by their love of money. They love the wages of unrighteousness. They do exactly what Christ says not to do in Matthew chapter 6. They store up for themselves treasures on earth and they love and they serve money. And not only do they have this disposition, but they want others to follow them in their path. The text says that they're focused on enticing unstable, uh, unstable souls into their unrighteous ways. It's not enough for them to partake in wickedness. They must see others follow in the same path, and they must lead others down the same path of destruction. And that's because their way of living is a way that is trained in greed. 
They have a way of living that is characterized by greed, and greed is typically associated with money. But greed is much more than just a desire for money. You see, greed is a desire for anything that God has said you cannot lawfully or righteously have. So someone can be greedy for money that they don't have, but they can be greedy for much more than that. You can be greedy for power, for material possessions, even for adultery, or even for someone's status. But what's really shocking about Peter's statement about them is not that they have greed, but that they're trained in it. They continually trained themselves. And this is the same word that Paul actually uses in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul exhorts young pastor Timothy to discipline himself for the purpose of godliness. So to discipline or to exercise or to train. So did you know that the old man of sin trains itself into living and loving for the earthly pleasures and treasures of this world. So just as an athlete trains for a competition, the old man of sin is training to win the prize of who can obtain the most earthly pleasures and treasures. So now let's take a moment just to spend a bit of time applying what we've learned so far and just think of our world. So what does the world have eyes full of? What does the world have eyes full of? Or what does humanity love? What does humanity love? And and what is humanity constantly training itself in? You don't have to look long to come to a conclusion. One is immediate sexual pleasure. That's something we can see all over the world, no matter where you are, that folks are trying to use other people for their own gain. And also, it's consumed with wealth. How much can I build up for myself and my kingdom today? rather than using the wealth that God has given me for others. Or power. How can I be the most powerful person in the place that I've been placed? And also fame. How can I get the most attention, the most praise, and the most reward from other people? Now, what is humanity's eyes not full of? What does humanity not love? What does humanity not train itself in? Well, how about forgiveness? Loving your brother when they sin against you? reconciling with them and not holding their sin against them? What about returning good for evil rather than either for good? The world definitely does not train itself in returning good for evil. We can see that anywhere. Or how about giving something of value to others that actually costs something? Meaning being a sacrificial person that I'm actually giving up part of something that would be good for me to serve someone else because I care about them more than myself. Or even it could be as simply as listening carefully. Or how about preferring others more than self? The old man of sin does not see these things as truly beautiful and satisfying. So in this fall, how are you training yourself? So there are a lot of things that we could be practicing and being trained in this fall, but I would encourage you to consider what your heart needs to be trained in to continue um, growing in Christ in this season. So there may, may be many of ways that you can be trained, but if you are new here to Faith Church West, here are some ways that you could be trained. First is if you're not in a faith group, we would love for you to join one of our faith groups. Faith groups are Bible studies. Um, there are folks that are mostly um, out of college and into any stage of life. So faith groups are groups of people that are, it's a small group, so they gather in houses, they read, they pray, the, they, pray they study the Bible, Bible together, and they find ways that they can meet needs in the body. 
Or if you're a college student, we have college Bible studies that meet nearly every weeknight, as well as PBF, so Purdue Bible Fellowship that meets here in this room on Thursday evenings. There's also Faith Community Institute classes on Wednesday evenings, and I was just over there a couple weeks ago, and it's a delight to see all of these different folks, some from the church and some from, from the community, coming to be trained in a variety of topics. So maybe there's something specific in your life you want to learn or a topic that you want to grow in, you can do that. You can go online and you can sign up for one of our Faith Community Institute classes that are on Wednesdays from 6.30 to 8 p.m. over at Faith East. Or if you're a teenager or if you know a teenager, we would love to train that teenager to grow in Christ as well. So during the 9.30 service, I'm here at Faith Church West. Actually, right now, there's a bunch of youth in there. There's probably 40 to 45 people in that room. And they're studying the Word of God to to see how can they become more trained in righteousness. Or we also meet on Wednesday evenings from 6.30 to 8 p.m. here at Faith Church West. Because training is such an important topic to discuss here because all of us are training ourselves in some way. So training isn't just for the athlete or for the scholar. Every day, we are either training ourselves toward righteousness, towards the new man, or training ourselves towards unrighteousness, or the old man. So every time you choose to do something that is right, you are training yourself in godliness. And every time you choose to do something that is wrong, you train yourself to live like you are your own God. And that's exactly what the false teachers were doing in Peter's day. They were committed to training themselves in greed and unrighteousness. Every day that went by, their hearts were manifesting more wickedness than the day before because they were training themselves to do so. You see, the old man has specific qualities in its nature, and those also come out in its fruits, just like how a crop has fruit that comes out, and we can see that the old man of sin has specific summary characteristics. And the first is that they are deceived. Now, what is the essence of deception, faith family? It's believing a lie. And a lie about what? Well, from the beginning, Satan deceived Eve by proposing that there is another way to life outside of the way that God has provided. There is another way to life of pleasure and beauty outside of God's design. And the essence of deception is that there is another way to fulfillment other than God and his ways. And that's what the old man of sin believes and rushes headlong into. Another way is deception. And we can see another way come up in many ways in our our lives that we're tempted with or even in our world. So one is that delight comes from using other people sexually for my own pleasure. Another is that security comes from accumulation or grasping earthly wealth. Or avoiding hurt comes from me harboring grudges, dismissing, writing people off, gossiping, and not investing in community, and keeping myself from people. That is being deceived. And another way is that love comes from me expecting what other people will do for me in relationships. And the most obvious that false teachers teach is that there is another way to God. And now there may be some here today that this is your first time joining us for worship here at Faith Church West, and this is your first time. And we're thankful that you chose to worship with us today because it's a delight um, to always meet new people and worship the Lord with you. But there might even be some people in this room that this might be one of your first times going to any church. This might be one of the first times that you've stepped in 
to a church or into a group of people that are worshiping the God of the Bible. And if you don't know what it looks like to have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we would love to chat with you today. So although the world says that there are many ways to God, that is not true. The Bible says that salvation comes exclusively through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're with us this morning and you don't have that saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus or you don't understand what it looks to be saved, we would love to talk with you. We would love to share with you the good news that for those that repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ, they can have eternal life and they can have that today. So you can even find, Pastor Burke has already said this, but you can find one of the pastors after the service and we'd love to walk through the gospel with you and I'm sure anyone even sitting next to you would love to do that as well. Because there's nothing more important than knowing that you have eternal life in Christ because he is the only way to God. And whether we're talking about another way to salvation or whether we're talking about another way to satisfaction, false teachers come to these conclusions because they are proud. It's because they're proud. The text says they're despising authority, daring, self-willed, and they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, reviling where they have, reveling where they have no knowledge. Now, we don't know ex- precisely what these false teachers were doing in Peter's day when they were reviling angelic majesties. We don't know exactly what they were doing, but what is clear is that they were speaking arrogantly in thinking they know all when they simply did not know all. So a summary characteristic of the old man is that he is proud. And this isn't just a problem with false teachers, is it? No, this is something we all struggle with. This is a common issue for everyone in the room. Something that's helped me greatly in my Christian walk is this resource, From Pride to Humility by Stuart Scott. So this is a great book you can go through, and this book describes what pride is. It describes how do we practically um, see pride in our lives, what is humility, and how do we change the pride in our lives to look like humility, the humility that resembles Christ. Now, I wanted to bring a copy of this so that you saw that and you wouldn't think that it's 300 pages long, because it's not. It's about this big. You can go through this in about an hour or an hour and a half, and it will be well worth your time. You can find this online at the resource store at Faith, and I actually looked it up to see how many they had in stock this week, and there were 258, I think. So if you're worried that you're going to take your neighbor's copy if you go to the resource store, you don't have to worry about that. Everybody in this room can have one. Because I would encourage you to go through this. This is a great way to think about what does it look like for me to be growing in my walk with Christ in the specific way of humility. And Stuart Scott sums up pride and humility in this way. He says, if we could sum it up, it's the mindset of self, the pursuit of self-exaltation, a focus on the desire to control all things for self. In exalting himself, the person actually believes that I am valuable and worthy. I am the source of anything good or wise or successful. I deserve the credit for whatever I achieve or acquire. I deserve love, admiration, respect. All good things are from me, through me, and to me. All honor and glory should go to me for my enjoyment and pleasure. Now, many of you in this room are studying to become professionals in all sorts of fields. And at Purdue, you're learning how to be the best you can be, whether you're learning to be an engineer, whether you're learning to be a teacher, a scientist, 
a financial manager, or in any other field, you're learning how to be ready to go into a profession and to be the best that you can be when you graduate. And no matter what your major is, there is one, arguably one attribute that will help you the most in your field of work, and that's humility. Because with humility, you will be able to do your job well, and you'll be able to give God glory at the same time. There are many people in this world that are proud people that are good at their jobs, meaning they get things done and they're successful. It's not hard to find those people. But you will be the most effective for the kingdom of God if you choose to be a humble person and train yourself to be someone that is viewing others as more significant than themselves and walking with the humility that Christ walked with as well. And now, a third summary characteristic in the old man that we see that comes from pride, which is why we should continue to put on humility, is that the old man is animalistic. The text says there are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained, the madness of a prophet. And when the scriptures speak of pride and arrogance, you don't have to go far to find examples and references to animalistic descriptions. I can illustrate this in a number of ways, but the one that comes to mind for most people is who? King Nebuchadnezzar. Because King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and he became so proud that God allowed him to lose his mind and become like an animal. You could read about that in Daniel chapter 4, but Peter has given us a different story to recall. We don't have time to dive all the way into Numbers chapters 22, 23, and 24. However, in summary, Balaam, whom Peter's referring to, was a false prophet. So he was a prophet that was teaching heresy and was hired for money. And he wanted the wages of unrighteousness to curse God's people. And on his way to gain what his eyes were full of, what he loved and what he was trained in, money, he was riding his donkey. And this is one of the most hilarious and strange sections of your Bible that you will read. But it's a great illustration for pride and how Pride leads to someone becoming like an animal. Numbers chapter 22 says, But God was angry because he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him, so against Balaam. And now he was riding on his donkey, and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his, his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned away from the way and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to her and tur- to turn her back into the way. And then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of the vineyards, and with a wall on this side and a wall on that side, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so that he struck her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a mockery of me. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, which you have ridden all of your life to this day? 
Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, No. And then the angel of the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. Not only is this story shocking and surprising that the donkey talks, but what is more shocking is that the madman, Balaam, talks back to the donkey. He engages in conversation with the donkey. Now, what's the point? The donkey had her eyes more full of God's way than Balaam did. Our old man reduces us to being animalistic, or in Balaam's case, even less than the animal. Now, lastly, as in Balaam's case as well, the old man of sin has a sure end result, and that is destruction. Second Peter Chapter 3, verse 12 says, But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Pastor Viers spent a considerable amount of time discussing this truth last week. False teachers will one day be judged by God. Our God is just and no sin will go unpunished. And we should pray daily for the salvation of all, including false teachers. But we can know that at the same time, our God is just, and we can trust him with his judgment. So this morning from this passage, we have seen the old man that is seen in false teachers. He has a specific nature. It has specific summary characteristics. And it's clear that the destruction is the end result for those who choose this path. And we should be evaluating these truths as well when we look at our own spiritual lives and what does it look like to grow in Christ. Now, as we've studied false teachers this morning in Second Peter chapter 2, I probably know what you're thinking. Wow, Pastor Rita, that was sure a message on hope for everyday life. Well, did you find the one positive verse in that whole section, in verses 10 to 16? I didn't. I didn't find it, and I've been studying the passage all week. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't provide hope for us in this passage, because there are many ways in which he does. Because in this passage, we can see false teachers. We can identify them for what they are. And as a believer, we can see the remnants of the old man and habits of our lives in us. You cannot reject, avoid, or refute something that you do not recognize. Peter is a faithful shepherd in this text, shepherding his sheep so they walk in the way of truth, not in the way of deception. And the second thing we can find in this chapter is that it sits in contrast to the other parts of the book. So in contrast to the darkness of chapter 2, where we'll be this weekend, next week, we can see the light in chapters 1 and 3. We can see the character of the Lord Jesus in contrast to this, and we know that his character is true. It is not characterized by deception or greed or adultery, and his character is defined by love, purity, and holiness. These chapters are a great reminder for us as we study this because we can be thankful for how Christ has redeemed us, and we can be joyful knowing that we are found in him. And for those who have placed their faith in Christ, they have become the new man, set on a different trajectory. So with that in mind, let's go before our Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning that we have come together and we've studied this topic of false teachers in Second Peter. We thank you that you have redeemed us, Lord, and that you're guarding us from false teaching. 
We pray that you'd help us to identify the old man and false teachers, but also the old man in us, whether it be the roots, meaning the identifying qualities that go all the way down to our heart, or even just the habits we have in our lives that don't please you. Help us to identify these things and help us to repent and to live as the new self. We thank you that we can become like Christ in every way, and we're thankful that you're with us and you're walking with us as we seek to grow in righteousness. So we thank you for these things, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.